Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Every year, one lucky group is the recipient of the Opus Prize. It's given to an organization developing, quote, creative solutions to some of the world's most pressing problems. And it comes with a $1 million prize, courtesy of the Opus Prize Foundation. That's the kind of money that can make a big difference for a small organization. And this year, a group of St. Louis University students were charged with deciding who gets it. It's a task that came with great responsibility and some international travel as well. Joining us today to talk about it is Connor Bradford. He's the development director for St. Louis University's College of Arts and Sciences. He's also a 2017 SLU graduate. Connor Bradford, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sarah. So how did SLU end up getting tapped to participate in this Opus Prize? Well, the Opus Prize works with um, Catholic universities across the nation. They've partnered with universities such as Notre Dame uh, and Georgetown, but this year we were fortunate enough to be selected. So we've been working with the Opus Prize Foundation to award money and you know, ultimately help some philanthropies across the world. And how did uh, St. Louis University decide which students should go overseas and help figure out who gets this money? Well, from my understanding, we had a pretty competitive process. So Father Justin Daffron, through our Mission and Identity Office, uh, worked with students from across the university and different organizations to find individuals who really uh, embodied the Jesuit mission and then we thought would be good representatives of the university. So I was actually taxed um, as a staff ambassador, which has been great. So I've got to meet some a couple of our wonderful students um, that went on my trip, and then also these two wonderful individuals that are here with me today. So staff and students, um, a contingency combining those two things went on each of these trips. Exactly. Okay. We're actually joined by two of these ambassadors, as, as Connor alluded to. Uh, Jordan Glassman is a senior from Palm Desert, California. He's studying philosophy and political economy, and he visited the Democratic Republic of Congo to evaluate one of these organizations. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And we're also joined by Susie Kickham. She's a senior from St. Louis, and she's studying philosophy and psychology in the College of Arts and Sciences. Susie, welcome to the show. Thank you. So Susie, what made you volunteer for this? Yeah, um, so I was actually sent the application, as, as Connor mentioned, by one of my faculty mentors here at SLU. Um, he knows of my interest in um, not in profits and, and innovation um, kind of in, in the international realm, particularly involving social issues, especially education that um, are really plaguing um, some countries today. And so he sent me the application knowing that this is something I would be interested in. And so I, I just decided to take the shot and I applied and was really grateful to find out that I was selected to go. And Jordan, tell us about how this works. When you apply for this, are you saying basically, I'll go anywhere? Or do you get to choose, oh yeah, I'd go to Puerto Rico, but I don't want to go to Africa. How does that work? No, but basically it's, uh, it's, it's anybody's guess where you're going to be able to have the opportunity to travel and um, similarly to Susie, I was, felt very fortunate to have the application forwarded to me. And uh, part of one of the questions on the application was, um, uh, please review some of the finalists that have received this award before mm-hmm. and um, talk about what resonates with you, um, with those finalists. And, and so I learned a lot about the organization just through going through that process. And it really got me excited to go wherever they were going to send me. So kind of by looking at past winners, mm-hmm. you got a sense of, okay, here's what this organization is looking for. Right. And the kind of scope that um, th- that this organization covers when they're finding finalists. It, it was really amazing the work that uh, they had been honoring previously. So this description, developing creative solutions to the world's most pressing problems, um, it sounds like that can take any number of directions. I mean, some of the, the past 
past winners or projects um, up until this year. Connor, do you have any sense of those? Yeah, so I got to um, look over one of the past recipients, or one of the finalists for the Opus Prize. Uh, Father Greg Boyle out in Los Angeles was a, a part of uh, the Opus Prize uh, finalist pool some years ago, and I uh, when I was a freshman, his one of his books was our required reading, so I, I got to learn about what he was doing, and I was really ecstatic when I saw that his work was featured by the Opus Prize. And when I was, you know, getting to be a part of this, um, he's working a, with ex-cons out there. He is. He oh, is. Okay. So you know, really transformative work, uh, work that I don't know, many people are kind of afraid to. to conduct. But, uh, you know, that's the kind of work that these organizations are doing, too. They really go into the margins of society to help those. So I'd like to hear a bit about what each of you got to see um, when you were overseas. Jordan, tell me about um, what you observed in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah. Well, we were only there for four days, but we observed a lot. They were were packed. Um, So Sister Catherine and and Bon Pasteur, the organization that she's affiliated with, um, are working to um, get students or children out of the mines um, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. What kind of mines are these? Cobalt and copper, but uh, oh, wow. also a number of other um, materials. So they're underground pulling precious minerals out. Right. There's two types of mining in the Congo. There's um, industrial and artisanal. Um, most of the people in the place that we visited were doing artisanal mining, meaning um, when the industrial uh, machines were done with an area, uh, the locals just go in there and they try to salvage all the little pieces of material that they um, that the industrial mining uh, portion couldn't couldn't grasp, and and, and so they've got t- kids in there doing this. Four year olds, yeah. It's, when you turn four, um, your parents rely on you as a breadwinner, and um, you know because of the life expectancy being so young there, uh, it's 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 really tragic that that students are young. So I keep saying students because they're supposed to be students, uh, but that these young children are are. Um, asked to go do that. And, and the culture of the mines is just, it's its terrible. And this Sister Catherine that you mentioned, um, she is herself Congolese? She's not. She's Kenyan. She's Kenyan. Okay. Kenyan, and yeah. she's trying to, to get these kids out of there. Um, that's got to be a, a difficult balancing act when their families need these resources. Absolutely. She has to approach this problem from a multitude of different angles. Um, so she's working on alternative livelihood for those families so that they can um, save up to be able to afford further education for their students while while she's also providing them um, education themselves and doing vocational training for young men and for young women who are beyond the age of schooling that she can offer. Um, she actually runs the only free schools um, mm-hmm. in, in the Congo, which is, I mean, it's just crazy to think about. Yeah, that sounds mind-blowing. Yeah. Uh, Susie, tell us about what you observed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we got to Nairobi, you know, I was obviously awestruck by the beautiful landscapes, right? And and we got to go on a mini safari and, and see say, all the amazing yeah, animals, people right? People go so, there as a tourism expedition. Yeah, right. And, and so, but what I ended up finding is that amidst all that wonder, I found so much more wonder in my interactions with um, Brother Charles, who is the finalist, as well as um, the folks I met um, in this Brother of uh, or Charles Luanga School. Um, which is the nonprofit that's being supported here. Um, so what they do in this school is it, it's in the middle of the Kibera slum, which is the largest slum in Africa, I believe the second largest in the world. Um, and so you have hundreds of thousands uh, of, of corrugated tin houses, right, in this area and open sewers, right, and um, and young folks walking to, to school or work every single day. And so this nonprofit is just right in the middle of that. Um, and upon arriving, um, we were greeted by these these young folks and um, with just the most beautiful music um, that they had in traditional African dance. Um, 
But then we, we got to meet Brother Charles and actually see what was going on in the classroom, right? See what these children were learning and, and also see what um, older folks were learning in the vocational programs. And I mean, it, it was just really phenomenal to see um, the capacity building that was going on. Um, and something Brother Charles would always mention is, you know, we're not just giving education as a transaction, we're giving it as a transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see that those values, the Christian values that he he lives by himself were being instilled as well. Um, yeah, it, it was really awe-inspiring. Connor, tell us about um, the project that you were looking at in Puerto Rico. Yeah, so I got to visit uh, Caras Concaza, basically Faces with a Cause, an organization run by an individual named Michael Fernandez Frey. Uh, basically operating in the outskirts of the San Juan region of Puerto Rico. Uh, his organization is three-pronged. Uh, it started off about 10 years ago through community activism in some poor neighborhoods. Uh, since then, it's, it's expanded and now includes educational opportunities and also studies environmental impact in the region. Okay, so these are all places doing amazing work. And as Jordan mentioned, at least in his case, he's only there four days. How do you even begin to evaluate this as an outsider to the culture, much less decide who gets this really nice windfall versus, I understand all the finalists get at least $100,000. There's a big difference there. Jordan, you must have felt some pressure. Yes, uh, for sure. We wanted to do right by Sister Catherine and, and the Opus Prize Foundation um, we asked a lot of questions when we were there, and and to Sister Catherine's credit, we had packed schedules where um, each day we were seeing a different aspect of what she does. Right, it's not just opening schools and helping to build farms; it's doing advocacy with the local government. It's um, engaging in her parish and um, helping to build, as Susie mentioned, capacity. Right, to 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 let people know that they have agency and to inspire them to to use that in powerful ways. And so, just immersing ourselves. In Kolowezi was uh, very helpful for starting to get a, gra- a, a small picture of what's going on there. So I feel like I would come out of an experience like that saying, mine needs the money. <laughs> but right. if everybody comes out of that feeling that same way, how do you begin to come to a consensus? Is the goal a consensus or are you filling out score sheets and then it's being calculated from there? Well, I know that we all on our individual trips, we worked with uh, members of the Opus Prize uh, Foundation Board to try and, uh, I guess, rank um, the, the candidates and see how they match up with the values of the Opus Prize uh, Foundation. Okay. So trying to really pair up, you know, the different aspects that they do and how they align with the foundation, but also trying to see, you know, what would these organizations use a million dollars for? Because ultimately we're going to provide a transformative gift to one of these. Anybody things. could use it, but right. who could maybe use it in, in the best of all possible right. ways. Um, did you find yourself wanting to just give them A pluses in everything to make sure that yours got the, got the prize? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I think um, when we met with Brother Charles, who um, helps run the school and other members of the board there, um, you know, they were really transparent with us uh, in terms of some challenges they faced, but also, um, you know, plans that they had for expansion and everything they were saying and the passion with which they were saying it. I mean, I just wanted to, to write them a check right there and write. And um, obviously, that's not up to us. Right. And, and all of these three finalists are doing, I mean, unbelievable work. And so I, I don't know how those jurors even begin to choose. Yeah. I mean, this week um, was the first time that I got to meet the other two finalists. Because they all flew to St. Louis for um, this week of events and then tonight's announcement. That's right. Um, And before they got here, I was um, always asking uh, Don, who runs the foundation, come on, Don, just tell me who won. Like, please tell me it's Sister Catherine. And after meeting the other finalists, it's very clear that 
um, each one is so tremendous that, um, you know, tonight I'm going to be really happy for whoever uh, ends up being named the, the Opus Prize laureate this year. So it sounds like even you guys don't know who's won yet. Is that correct? Unfortunately. Yeah. Is that true for you as, as a staff member, Connor? Or do, are you in on this? Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it's true. I, I got the scoop on a lot of things, but not this you one. You don't know this. Okay, so there's going to be a big reveal tonight. Right. Um, and it sounds like, Jordan, you're at a, a point where you'd be happy for anybody. That's right. But still rooting but the most still for Sister, Sister Catherine. Catherine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's a superhero. <laughs> so, you know, part of these trips, I understand part of why they want to involve college students. It's not just that you're there assessing them, but they're also hoping that this is going to change Absolutely. your life in some way. Susie, um, do you feel like that happened in your case? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, for me it was the interactions with both Brother Charles and the people working in the school, but also um, the students in the school and the alum who had graduated from the vocational program. So um, Brother Charles just has this immediate you know, warmth and, and welcome to him that I really have never experienced before. He just exudes joy. You feel um, a sense of sacredness when you're around him. Um, And so seeing that and then seeing how that spirit um, lives on through the students that have gone through the school we met, we were able to meet one alum in particular, his name was Joseph, and he is working um, as a construction manager for one of the the bigger apartment complexes that they're building in the city of Nairobi. And he grew up in the the slum and was able to um, kind of lift himself out of that situation. But Mm. um, he was the same, right? Like he had that same just beaming smile um, and just such a sense of purpose. And and for me, um, carrying that that with me and, um, you know, something Brother Charles would say a lot is the legacy we leave is is how we make people feel, right? Um, and that's what matters. And, and you could see that in every interaction he had with people. Jordan, do you feel like you've, you've come out of this experience changed? Uh, absolutely. And there are three uh, specific things that I'm going to carry with me f- forever, I think. The first is that I have a, a much better understanding and appreciation for the global economy, right? And how um, you know, the decisions that I make here affect people all around the world. It really makes you question, who is my neighbor? Um, second, I mean, Sister Catherine as a leader is, she's just phenomenal. Um, she's really uh, left with me some some ideas of what it means to be a leader uh, that I think I'll, I'll hopefully be able to carry with me to, no matter what uh, my professional life has in store. Um, and then thirdly, um, all three finalists um, are, are led by their faith in, in such a special way. It's so clear um, that that's what really grounds them. And, and so seeing how that works with, um, you know, these, this, uh, th- these organizations that they lead, um, it, it really just inspires, uh, inspires you. And Connor, for you, um, you're working in philanthropy, uh, but you're kind of on the opposite side of things. Generally, rather than giving out money, you're asking for money. So uh, how did that affect you to sort of be a part of this project and sort of be on the flip side of of what your day job is? Well, you're absolutely right. You know, I've always worked on the other side of philanthropy ever since I graduated from the university. For me, I think it really put things in perspective. You know, I think I do great work uh, fundraising for SLU, and I think that I'm able to help a lot of students here at the university achieve their goals, you know, for the greater glory of God. But I think that what Michael does and the way that philanthropy impacts his organization in Puerto Rico, um, you know, it's very different. You know, it's a whole other level. But for me, it's really been awesome to kind of put, you know, gain some perspective on, you know, what it looks like on the other side of philanthropy, the Mm -hmm. giving side. 
And it sounds like tonight, um, no matter what happens, you guys are going to be really excited to see this this prize being granted. And it sounds like there's three worthy recipients, so that's that's really exciting to see. Um, Connor Bradford of St. Louis University, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And our student ambassadors, that's Susie Kickham and Jordan Glassman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWNU.